dare you to eat that bug. I double dog dare you to lick your big toe. I triple dare you to drink that whole entire bottle of hot sauce. It was so much easier as a kid. We would dare to do anything, literally anything. It's as if we were invincible. We would dare to do things that didn't matter. But now, now even the most beautiful and valuable things don't seem worth the risk. Now we're just trying to make it through the day. Sometimes it's almost like we're daring not to believe, as if we're betting our lives on this absence of something more. Betting our time and our love and our souls on this idea that everything we've got right now, everything we've bought and earned and seen, is all there is. But is it? No, it's not a perfect way to live, but it's fine. Almost good some days. Why believe in something that might jeopardize that? Why believe it all? People say Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know, maybe. He seemed like a good man. Maybe even a great man. But people don't rise from the dead after a crucifixion. They just don't. It's impossible. It's irrational. It all seems like smoke and mirrors. But you know, at the same time, so does doubt. Putting my faith in myself feels wrong, like my entire reality is tinted by my inabilities, by my doubt. Betting my life on the absence of something feels just as hazy as daring to believe. You know Jesus' first followers built a whole religion around believing that he was a dead man walking? I'll say that again, a dead man walking. So 12 men and a dead guy had a story so compelling, so life-changing, that they gained hundreds, thousands, millions of believers? That also seems impossible. That's irrational. That's beautiful. It's scary. It's a risk. The smoke thickens. Daring not to believe is just as risky as daring to buy it. I double-dog dare you to jump without looking. But if I did, if I did dare to believe an impossible, irrational, messy, beautiful, life-changing story, if the Son of God really walked this earth, really died in my place, in our place, if He really took our failures, our shame, our doubt, our smoke, if He really defeated all of that, plus death itself, well, that would change. That would change everything. I dare you to. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you. Beautiful day. Hope you're well. Welcome to Union Chapel today. We are talking about daring to believe today on this resurrection weekend. And I hope that this message today will be an encouragement to you, an uplift to your faith, a challenge to you perhaps, and that God's blessing will meet you in the context of our service. So we're going to look at the scripture today. We're going to the Gospel of John. We're going to read from chapter 20, the first 10 verses there. This is John's account of that resurrection morning, that first Easter day. And we have much we can learn from this, the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ, daring to believe in Him, and what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. So I hope it's uh, hopeful, uh, helpful to you and meaningful. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 20. If not, we'll project these words on the screen for you. Our custom is to stand as we hear God's word. So as you're able, would you please stand to hear God's word? 
Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, who is he referring to? He's referring to himself. John, John is the author, and the one whom G Jesus loved is John. So John is reminding us that Jesus always loved him best. So it's just, apparently that's important to him, so we'll, we'll make note of it. The one whom Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Okay, now we need to stop, because now John is uh, reminding us that he's really fast. So he's not only the favorite... He's the fastest runner, okay? Just apparently this is important to him, so we're, we're honoring John and his foot speed. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, fastest runner, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now we get the contrast here. Peter looks in, he doesn't know what's going on. But John, when he looks in, he believes. So he's the favorite, he's the fastest, fastest runner, and he's the first, first to believe. It's a very special guy, right? So he's on point, he's paying attention. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, may God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. So the question today is, do you dare to believe? Do you dare believe this story, this message? You know, it's the most important question you'll ever be asked. Because your eternal destiny will be based on the answer to the question, do you dare believe in this message, this story of Jesus and his resurrection? Today I want to talk about two things, the benefits of believing in Jesus, what, what really comes to us as a blessing for believing, and the other thing I want to cover is what it actually means to believe in Jesus Christ. On your outline you'll see four things, benefits if you will. That, uh, that we can mention today. We could name 50 benefits, but there are four. These are major categories, and they're important for us to hear, I think. Number one, everything I've ever done wrong is forgiven. Everything I've ever done wrong is forgiven. Christ did on the cross by dying for our sins, your sins and mine, in that God forgives you, forgives you freely, forgives you completely, forgives you instantly, forgives you repeatedly. Can I get a witness on repeatedly? We are forgiven, and God is faithful to forgive. It is an amazing thing. You know, if there was, there was no promise of heaven, if heaven didn't exist, of course it does, but if heaven didn't exist, this would still be worth it to believe in Jesus because of the, of the cleansing of our lives, the forgiveness of our past, our present, our future, the, the, the clarity of our conscience, just to have our conscience cleared is such an amazing, amazing gift. Acts chapter 10 verse 43 says, all who believe in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins through Jesus' name. Romans 3.22, we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ. 
to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. No matter who we are or what we have done. Forgiven. I love that phrase, don't you? It, it simply means it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've done it with. It doesn't matter how long you've done it or where you did it. You can be forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? It's a, such a great, great promise. And so everything I've ever done wrong is forgiven. Here's a second benefit. It's on your outline. I learned God's purpose for my life. God's purpose. Now listen, if you don't know your purpose, and by the way, most people don't know why in the world they're here. Most people don't. And if you don't know your purpose, then what happens is you tend to just drift through life. You get bounced around. Life controls you. Circumstances control you rather than you being on point and on purpose with a sense of God's direction in your life and you controlling that, that direction. And there's only one way that you're going to learn the purpose of your life. And that is you've got to talk to the one who made you, your creator. You've got to discover God's original design for your life, his original intent for you. There's no way that, that you can come up with this on your own. There's no way that you can imagine this for yourself. You didn't make you. You didn't create you. And so the only way to know God's best plan for you is to consult with him. He's the one that made you. Now, we hear a lot of talking heads in our society and our culture today who says, you know, the key to finding fulfillment in life is to look within. If you'll look within, uh, your own heart will never lead you wrong and, and follow the instinct that you have. Hmm. Your heart, your heart is actually uh, deceptive. It will, it will lead you astray. And there are people who look within and try that. I tried that for a while, and I'll just testify for myself, looking for direction in life from within doesn't work. You will never, ever, ever understand your purpose in life until you connect with the one who created you. His name is Jesus Christ. And so this is a great promise, a benefit to believing in him. You learn God's purpose for your life. Here's number three. I get strength for daily living. Strength for daily living. Now, I used to think that, oh, well, that's not a big deal. But as I've lived a while and as I have observed the lives of other people, this is a huge deal. Now, I, I know we all suffer from worry and fear or guilt, boredom, bitterness, all of these pressure points of life. I get that. But here's, here's what I've concluded. I really think that the number one problem that most of us experience is weariness. Have you noticed just how quickly life saps the life out of you? Have you noticed just how hard it is and how quickly we get depleted and how quickly our, our, our meter tends to run on empty? We, we just feel the weight of life and the weariness that comes as a result. I talk to people all the time. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I don't have enough energy to accomplish the things I know I need to do. And the reason that, that people find themselves in this weakened condition is because we get unplugged or never plug into the real source of power in our lives. And the source of power comes in believing in Jesus Christ and trusting Him for the strength we need, the, the, the power we need in order to make it. You know, uh, a toaster unplugged is what? It's worthless. 
A vacuum cleaner unplugged? No good. A blender unplugged? No help. And that's what happens to us. We get unplugged from the real source of life, the real source of power, which is our faith in Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 20, 29 says, God gives power to those who are tired and worn out. Tired and worn out, can I get a witness? God gives power to those, and, and then he gives help and strength to the weak. That's good news. That's really helpful. The Bible also says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is. Whose power? Jesus' power. To help those who believe in him. And that's the key. Belief unlocks God's power in your life. And then that verse in Ephesians 1 concludes, it is that same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now think about this. Is what, what we just heard from Ephesians 1 actually true? That the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to quicken our lives, to empower our lives. That's what we heard. That's exactly the promise. You say, well, I, you know, I'm, not, I, I'm getting along fine. I, I don't think I need any more power. I don't need God's strength in my life. Well, wait a minute. How about this? How many, how many of you need the power to change? Anyone besides me? I've met hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. And you know, there, there are people who tell me, you know, there are parts of my past I'd like to change. There are parts of my personality that I know don't work for me, and I'd like to change those and reshape those. There, there, are, there are things in my patterns, the way I handle life, that I need to change. I need to adjust. I need to do better. And God's promise is to give us power to change those areas of our lives that we need. There, there's power to start over. Anyone here ever need a second chance? Fresh start? New beginning? The power of God is available for a fresh start. How many of you ever sense the need for God's power to keep going, just to maintain? You know, sometimes the greatest testimony in life is, I'm still here, right? I'm still standing. That requires the power of God. Sometimes we need the power of God to say no, because we know there are patterns and habits and temptations in all of our lives that, that lead us astray and knock us off course, and we need power beyond ourselves to face into those pressure points and say, no, not this, not now, not with you, not today, not here, no. We need God's power for those kinds of things. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. He said, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. Isn't that great? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That is a great promise because we all need God's help, God's power. God's strength in our lives. So that is a great benefit. So here's, here's what is promised as a benefit to us who believe. Everything we've ever done wrong is forgiven. Every, everything in my past, everything in my present, everything in my future can be resolved with a clear conscience. It's a benefit of God. I can get purpose for my life. I can get direction for my life by believing in Jesus Christ, and I can get power to manage all of those points. Now, here's the last one. It's really the cherry on top. It's number four. It's on your outline. I am guaranteed eternal life. <laughs> what a great benefit, eternal life. What a great thing. See, Jesus bringing himself back to life, that changed everything. When Jesus came back to life 2000. And 16 years ago, it literally split history into B.C. and A.D. 
Every time you write down, every time you write down a date on an application or a form, you are recognizing the most important moment in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you mark your birthday, by the way, today is my mother's birthday, and she, she listens to me every week. She's my mother. I know. Happy birthday, Mom. It's called points, getting points. You write down your birthday. I could ask anyone in the room, what's your birthday? And you'll say, certain day, certain year. All of those reference points are related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ because his resurrection is the pivot point in all of human history. Nothing is bigger than that. And therefore, it proves a few things to us. For example, it proves that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Think about that. Jesus repeatedly said, I am God. I'm God. I'm God come in human form to die for your sins. And a lot of people go, even people in our own contemporary culture, they say, I, I like Jesus. I think he's a good guy. And, and I, I, I believe he was a, a good teacher, but I just don't believe he was God. Don't believe he was God. Well, listen, if you say that he's a good man or he's a great teacher, that really isn't an option for a guy who spent his whole life and career saying, I'm Jesus, I am God. I mean, you, you have to deal with that. He's, he's either who he said he is or he's the biggest liar in history. He's a con man. He's a lunatic. A boy's nuts if he's not really God and he's going around saying it. You know, there are people in our world today who have lost touch with reality. They say, who are you? And they say, I'm Napoleon. They believe it. But you go, that boy's not right. Yeah? You ask, you ask some women who've lost touch with reality, this is very sad, who are you? I'm a fried egg. Literally believing that they're a fried egg. Well, you know, that's, that's nuts. That's not, that's not well. Jesus goes around saying, I'm God. I'm God. And, and for, for example, if, if I stood up here today and I said, hi, I'm Greg and I'm a good teacher, you might go, well... Uh, okay, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You're a good teacher, fine. Or if I stood up and said, hi, I'm Greg. I am a prophet of God. Then you might say, well, you know, that's pushing it, pal. We're not sure about that. Uh, okay, we'll play along. We'll give you the benefit of that. Okay, you're a prophet of God, whatever. And then if I said, hi, I'm Greg. I'm God. And I said it just as sincerely and forthrightly as I can. And I, kept say, I keep saying it repeatedly. Every week I stand up and say, Hi, I'm Greg. I'm God. Welcome to the church. How many, of you, how many of you would agree that that statement would cause you to make a decision? You're going to have to decide about me. You're going to say, that Greg, you know, he, he, uh, he, he doesn't seem right. He may, he may be lying to us about that. He may, be, he may just be nuts. He really believes he's God. He, he, that, boy's, that boy's crazy. Or some of you might conclude, Greg, Greg said he's God. Hey, we found God. <laughs> there he is. Name's Greg. <laughs> but, you, but you can't sit on the fence with that one, right? I mean, you can't, you can't just go, well, you know, I, th I think he's a good teacher, maybe even a prophet, but he's not God. Come on. No, no, I'm either God or I'm not, because that's my, that's my claim. 
And so this is what happened with Jesus. Jesus comes along in history and he says, look, I am, I am God. And so folks had to decide either that guy's a con man, he's, he's a liar, he's crazy, or he is who he said he is. Those are the options that you have. Now listen, throughout history, there have been thousands of people claiming to be God. They come and go. Lots of people have claimed it. Jesus stands alone in this. Jesus claimed to be God, and then he said, and now I'm going to prove it to you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow my enemies to kill me, and I'm going to be dead for three days. And then after three days dead, I'm going to raise myself back up to life in order to prove to you that I am who I said I am. And that's exactly what he did. And Jesus didn't just rise from the dead that first Easter morning and say hi to a couple of women and, you know, John, that really fast runner, and and then check out. What Jesus did is that he rose from the dead and he appeared to many. He didn't just rise from the dead and check out immediately. He He was around for 40 days. He was walking the streets of Jerusalem. Many, many people saw him. There was, a, there was a party one day when there were 500 people there. Now, it's hard to fool 500 people when you've been dead and now you're alive again. I mean, he was on the street as the resurrected Christ. Can you imagine some days walking down one of the streets of Jerusalem? He's on one side of the street going one way, and two of the Roman centurions who have crucified him just the week before are walking on the other side of the street, the opposite way. Can you imagine this moment? Centurions walking along, glance over. Guy bumps it. Isn't that the guy we... And Jesus, you know, raises his hand. He's got this hole in his hand. He raises like this now. And, and then he just lips the word. He doesn't say anything out loud. He just goes, I'm back. <laughs> Would freak you out. That's why so many in Jerusalem instantly became believers. Instantly they did. In a matter of years, we know 100,000 people were followers of Christ because everybody had seen him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most well-documented events in history. It would stand up in any court of law. In fact, it has many, many times throughout many centuries. It proved Jesus was who he said he was. He is the Son of God. And it also demonstrates another thing, that Jesus can keep his promises. Jesus says to us, I promised to let my enemies kill me to lie dead for three days and then resurrect myself to life after three days. And Jesus could look you right in the eyes today and say, did I fulfill that promise? And we'd have to say, yes, you did. Yes, sir, you did. Then then he would say, and you can trust all the other promises that I've made on your behalf. Whatever I've said as a promise to you, you can take it to the bank because I am one who fulfills his promises. Isn't that great news? It proves that God fulfills his promises. And finally, a third thing it tells us that it proves that there is life after death. There is eternal life. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, there is no hope. You understand? There is no hope for the future. You have no hope of eternity. You would have no knowledge of heaven or anything else because Jesus Christ was the one who proved that there's life after death. If he is not raised from the dead, then all of this is a big joke. There is no Christmas, there is no Easter, there is no point in developing church, none of that. We ought to just all break, break off right now, head back to Florida for more spring break. Look, I'm buying hot dogs for everybody. 
Let me show you what Jesus said. I'll put this on the screen. This is in John 11. Jesus said, I am the one who raises the dead and gives them life again. Now, how could a guy say that? Because this is a guy who did that. Now, let me remind you, Buddha didn't say that. Mohammed didn't say it. Karl Marx didn't say it. Nobody else has ever said this because nobody else has ever raised themselves back to life because they're not God. That's what puts Jesus in a unique position as the Son of God. I am the one who raises the dead, he said. And here's what he says because of that. John 11, 25 and 26. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live again. He has given eternal life for believing in me and shall never perish. Jesus said, though you be dead, if you believe in me, though you die, yet shall you live. How many of you have loved ones who are, who are past, who are dead, and they died in the Lord? They died as believers in Jesus. How many of you have people like that on the other side? Listen to me. Listen to me. You will see them again. You will see them again. Jesus said, though you be dead, though they die, yet shall they live, because I'm the one who raises people from the dead. You will see them again. Let me tell you a neat story. This happened last night right after our worship service. A woman came up to me after service last night. She was in tears. Tears liter physically, literally were streaming down her cheeks. She said that, uh, that sometime yesterday God had spoken to her about coming to our, our worship service. She doesn't attend our church here. But she said, God told me to come to Union Chapel tonight. So she said, here I am. And she said, when you got to that part in the sermon that I just passed through just a moment ago, when I, when I asked people to say, do you have loved ones on the other side? You will see them again. She said, I hadn't, hadn't been thinking about this, hadn't been imagining this, didn't, didn't remember this necessarily. But she said, it hit me so strongly. I looked down at my watch and she said, I realized that 26 years ago, my husband was killed. She said, to the day, to the hour... To the minute when you said you will see him again. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But it was an encouragement to her. Jesus said, you place your confidence in me. Because I live, you shall live also. It's awesome. That's, that's a big deal. I mean, that's really, really huge. The promise of eternal life. Jesus Christ, if he'd not been risen, then this is all just a myth, just a mirage. Has no meaning, has no significance, has no application. Let me remind you of a verse that most of you know. You've seen it on placards at football games now for about 30 years. I'll put it on the screen for you. It's John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So these benefits are offered to us. Everything you've done wrong is forgiven. You get purpose for life. You get power for living. And you get a home in heaven. Isn't that great? Now let me ask you a question. Here's a, here's a really straightforward question. Where else are you going to get that? Where else are you going to get these kind of benefits? And the answer is nowhere. Who else can give you that? No one can give you that. If you don't get it from Jesus... You don't get it. You're out. Because he's the only one who can give you these four things. These are amazing benefits 
that you can't get anywhere else. And the only qualification for receiving these benefits is to believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. Pastor friend of mine got on a plane. This has probably happened to many people here. Got on a plane. The guy sat next to him. Hey, what do you do? So well, I'm a pastor. He said, hey, great. I'm going to heaven. Pastor said, hey, good for you. He said, let me ask you, why, tell me why you think you're going to heaven. He said, well, I believe in God. Pastor said, good, good. That's good. You believe in God. Is, is there any other reason that you think you're going to make it to heaven? He said, well, I believe in Jesus. I, I, believe that, I believe that Jesus died for sins, for the sins of the world. Oh, good, good. That's, that's good to believe that. He said, let me ask you something. Do you believe in the devil? And the man said, yeah, I believe in the devil. Yeah, he said, you believe in evil? Yeah, I there's evil all over the world, definitely. I, I believe in that. He said, do you think the devil's going to heaven? And he said, well, no. Devil's not going to heaven. Of course not. He said, well, you know, the devil has the same qualifications that you've just explained you have to go to heaven. Why isn't he going to heaven? He said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, just believing in Jesus and even believing that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that's not enough to get you into heaven. He said, what are you talking about? He said, he said well, it's just not enough because even the devil believes that stuff. He said, is there scripture to support that? And he said, actually, yes, James 2.19. Do you think it's enough just to believe there is one God? Even the demons believe that. And tremble. And so it left the man wondering, what does it mean to believe? And indeed, we need to look at what it really means to believe. The New Testament was written in the language of Greek. And the, the Greek word translated believe is pistuo. And it has a deeper meaning than just a basic knowledge of what God has done. It means to trust. It means to cling to. It means to rely on. It means to adhere to. It means to commit to. We, we, we all know that there are various levels of knowledge. For example, everyone here knows the Kardashians. You know, Kim and the other girls. We know who Kim is married to now. Kay West. <laughs> but we don't actually know them. I mean, we know, who, we know of them. We know them, you know, from a, a distance, but we don't actually know them. I know about Tom Cruise. I don't know Tom Cruise personally, but I know who he is. I believe he exists. I've never given my life to Tom Cruise, but I believe he exists. And, you know, there are a lot of people that believe Jesus exists, but they've never given their life to him. You know your neighbor who lives close by you. You know a little bit more about them, you know, maybe where they work or where they came from originally and what their background is, some of their family, stuff like that. But you don't really know them. If you've been married for a while, like Beth and, Beth and I, your husband or your wife, you know them much more intimately. I know my wife. She's still a mystery. <laughs> now, I'm not a mystery to her because she's deep and I'm shallow. <laughs> she knows everything about me. I know very little about her. But I do know that I love her. Mm -hmm. And when I say I believe in Beth, it means more than I know her, more that, know that she exists. It's more than that. Far more than I know my wife exists, it means I trust her. I rely on her. I'm committed to her. I know her intimately in a way that I don't know anybody else. In 18 months, we'll have been married 40 years. That's the kind of knowledge and intimacy I'm talking about. When I say I believe in my wife, it's more than I just believe 
that she exists, it means that I trust in her, that I'm committed to her, that I rely on her, and I love her with all of my heart. That's the kind of meaning, pastuo, the Greek word for believe, means in Scripture. It means to trust in, to cling to, rely on, to adhere to. We can use the word trust as an acrostic to understand what it really means to believe in Jesus Christ, and we can use the T in trust to mean turning everything over to Jesus. Everything, the good in my life, the bad in my life, the ugly, the secret things, my past, my present, my future, all of these things. That's why Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And so it means turning everything in my life over to him. It also means the R in trust can stand for relaxing in his love. There's an instinct, there's an impulse, there's an intuition in every human life, every heart, and it goes like this, I know that I should be better than I am. I ought to try harder. I ought to work more to be a better person. Everyone has this instinct. And so when religions form in human history, all of the religions that have built into them a sense of oughtness and a work ethic to try to be a better person and get closer to God that way, they become very popular. But Christianity comes along and has changed the whole landscape of the spiritual world, the religious world in the world. And the reason for that is because of grace. God says, look, it's not about what you do. It's not about how you perform. It's not about how hard you work. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. In other words, the gift and the benefits that God offers to us in Jesus Christ are given to us freely as an expression of the love of God for us. So it's not about somehow towing the line and, and working hard to achieve somehow how God's favor over the course of our lives, but rather appropriating by faith, by this sincere belief, this gift of life that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. And so he made a way for us when there was no way. Can you hear it today? This is wonderful news. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. We have hope. And so what it really means to believe is that I relax in his love. The, the you and trust can stand for to use my life to serve God by serving others. Everybody knows, anyone who has a modicum of understanding of human nature and of what it takes to make people happy, any, any ability to think critically, everyone will agree that the happiest, most contented, most satisfied people in the world are people who serve other people. People who give their lives for the sake of others are the most contented people, happiest people in the world. It's just, it's just so obvious. The saddest, most depressed, most uh, insecure, most... most uh, uh, uninspired people in the world are folks who are all introspective. It's all about them. It's all about their, their stuff, their problems, their issues. But people who really figure it out are folks who turn their focus away from themselves to serve God by serving others. That's what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, to believe in him. And then the S in the word trust could stand for suffer for doing what's right. Christians have been dying for their faith now for 2,000 years. We see more and more of it recently in the newspapers and in the news. And we know that in America right now, it's probably not going to happen to any of us today that someone's going to threaten us at the point of our lives for being in church today or following Jesus. But every day, somewhere in the world, Christians are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. Just a few months ago in Kenya, 147 Christian students got up early for prayer at their university. 
Some terrorists came in, made them all lie down, face down, and they shot them all in the back of the head. Killed them all. Why? Because they're Christians. That's all. We've uh, been reading for months as ISIS terrorizes the Middle East. They're beheading Christians, burning churches. That's nothing new. That's in, the, that's in the news, but it all happens around the world all the time. Happens every day. People giving their lives for following Jesus Christ. And Jesus was completely forthright about this. He was completely honest about this. He said, listen, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow. Now, there have been lots of people speculate on what did Jesus mean when he said, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be sincere and authentic, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And people have tried to parse that and understand that and sort that. What did Jesus mean? And this is mostly from people who, who didn't live in first century Roman-controlled Palestine because there's only one meaning that Jesus could possibly imply writing from a posture of first century Roman-controlled Palestine, and it's this. If you take up your cross, that means you're willing to die. Now, I know that's just far removed from us. You know, a lot of you are visiting from out of town. A lot of you haven't been in church for a while, and you're just trying to do the right thing. You know, you go to church once in a while. You know, maybe you can score some points with God or whatever. And so you're here, and the rest of us are here, and, 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 we're, and we're trying to do the right thing. You know, we're more regular in church and all that, and we're trying to, trying to do the right thing, be the right kind of people. But frankly, we're soft. All of us are soft. We got out of our warm beds this morning, got in our climate-controlled cars and came into this nice room where the, where the ambiance is nice and people have worked hard to prepare a, a beautiful experience for you. And So here we are and we're all just together and, and, and some of us now are becoming impatient. We've sat here about as long as we can sit. And we're wondering when that guy's going to shut up so I can go get some lunch. And that's where we are. But let me ask you this question. If tomorrow they made it against the law to be a follower of Jesus Christ in America, all of a sudden it's against the law to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would anybody know that you are actually a true follower? You say, well, I believe. Wait, that's not enough. I believe Jesus died on the cross. The devil believes that. You see, it's, it's taking it to another level. It means to turn your life over to Him. It means to relax in His love. It means to use your life to serve God by serving others. It means you're willing to suffer for doing what's right. And the last T in the word trust, we might say, means to trust what He says. One more verse of Scripture, John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, To all who received Him, that's Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become the children of God. So two things here. It is, it is believe that Jesus died for your sins and receive in a personal way, in a fully devoted way, a committed way, in the core of who you are as a person. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. And that's the opportunity that I'm giving you today. Do you dare to believe? Do you dare believe? If you believe, these benefits await you. But truly and sincerely believing implies these steps of commitment and going all in for Jesus' sake. May I pray with us? May I pray for you? And may we uh, offer ourselves afresh and anew to Christ this Easter season. Lord Jesus, uh, you've promised that if I believe in you, everything I've ever done wrong will be forgiven. 
Jesus, you've promised that if I believe in you, I will learn the purpose of my life. You've promised that if I believe in you, I will get strength and power for daily living and that you will accept me into your eternal home in heaven one day. Lord, I want to have a real faith in you, not a fake faith, not a phony faith. I want to be a true believer, not a partial believer. I want to believe and I want to receive you. Now, if you're in the room today, friend, and you didn't expect this, but suddenly you're confronted today with these words and with this truth, and you sense God's closeness to you. You sense God asking you to take a step toward Him. You feel the warmth of His love and the invitation to be drawn closer to Him. If that's, if that's true for you, I want to pray for you. I want to give you words. As I pray these words, if you'll hear them and believe them in your heart, God will hear you and receive you. So if that's your desire today, here are the words. You pray them quietly in your heart to God. Lord Jesus, I confess. I believe that you are God, and I receive you into my life as my Lord. Today I'm turning over every part of my life to your management. You're God and I'm not. You have the right to call the shots in my life. Jesus, I want to relax in your love. Thank you that I don't have to earn it or deserve it or work for it. I want to use the rest of my life serving you rather than serving myself. And Lord, when it's required, I'm ready to suffer for doing what's right, whatever that means. And finally, I want to trust what you've said, both your instructions and your promises. So I humbly commit my life to you. And I humbly ask you to accept me into your family. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.